0: Entrepreneur Aaron Rasmussen grew up in eastern Oregon, outside of a town of just 600 people.
1: I was a strange kid. I um, I really liked computers, so I started computer programming very early, and I loved stop-motion animation.
0: He was, as he puts it, very technical and very creative.
1: My parents bought me this, like, ancient RCA video camera at a garage sale. It was pretty wild. It was you had to put it on your shoulder. It's manual focus. And then you had a backpack with a VCR and a VHS tape in it. And then the battery was dead in it. So then I had a satchel with a battery pack on it. So I was this little like eight-year-old kid just dragging, you know, 25 pounds of equipment around to make neighborhood versions of Cinderella um, or a lot of claymation and stop motion.
2: Now, at age 35, Aaron is still making videos. But for a much bigger audience, as in millions of people around the world, he's one of the minds behind the
0: online education platform, Masterclass. From Jeffries and Gimlet Creative, this is Invisible Forces. And in this final episode of the season, a force that drives economic growth and job creation, one that can improve the way we live and the way our work gets done. And that is Entrepreneurial Spirit.
1: Yeah, it's very intimidating, the implication that I might be some sort of force.
0: (laughs) I'm Shannon Murphy, the head of equities content at Jefferies. And I'm Aaron Shea. I'm on the capital intelligence team at Jefferies.
2: At the start of the series, we opened with this premise from the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, that talent hits a target no one else can hit, while genius hits a target that no one else can see. Across
0: sectors entrepreneurial vision is fundamental today we're going to hear from three people who embody this spirit and learn about what drives them we'll meet a woman who runs a network of angel investors
3: focusing on increasing diversity in venture capital and startups i think there was a time where a founder needed to be breaking through brick walls and breathing and sleeping and eating their company and that's all they cared about was that problem And then you have founders who are maybe more like me and just like want to take their kind of intellectual curiosity and and take it towards solving some problem. And I think the great news now is that all types can be successful.
0: We'll also hear the the behind-the-scenes story of one of Forbes magazine's next billion-dollar startups, told by a voice you may recognize from earlier in the season.
4: Literally, we were planning to go live in January, and now we had to go live in August.
0: And we're going to hear more from Aaron
2: Rasmussen of Masterclass who's been called somewhere between an inventor and a mad scientist. Along the way, we'll learn what to look and listen for when it comes to identifying founders
0: who have the potential to take off. Aaron says it begins with a passion for wanting to change the world. By definition,
1: being an entrepreneur starts out as irrational. I think what I like about being an entrepreneur is it takes that sense of romanticism in you, that irrationality, and actually make something useful out of it.
0: The majority of startups fail. At the same time, the amount of venture capital flowing into startups is at an all-time high. Aaron seemed destined to thrive in this environment.
1: A friend asked me in my early 20s once, and he was just kind of like, I I can't figure you out. Like, what is it that you're looking for? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, why do you work so hard? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I like making stuff.
2: He eventually saw how his childhood in rural Oregon and his early creative instincts shaped his worldview. And in turn, what defines him as an entrepreneur?
1: It wasn't until many years later that I kind of realized that, you know, growing up in the woods, I I read a lot of sci-fi, read a lot of fiction. My window into the world were these sort of idealized versions of it. And I feel like I sort of got sold the wrong version of the world. And when I went out there, I expected, you know, going to Boston for school. That was like the end-all, be-all. I got to go to Boston. Yeah, there were some really nice things about the world, but there were a lot of really terrible things. You know, it was not anywhere near as shiny as I thought it would be. And I think I ended up with this sort of fundamental conflict with reality because the version that I was hoping for was nicer than the one that I found.
2: So he just started making things that he wanted to see in the world.
1: Masterclass is you know, sort of a concept that I feel like has been around for a long time, learning from the greatest people in the world. And in a lot of ways, it was just something that my co-founder and I wanted to exist. We wanted to take these classes. And sometimes the best way to get the thing you want is to simply make it yourself.
0: Masterclass hasn't disclosed their valuation, but it's raised more than $130 million in funding over the last five years. The subscription-based platform features highly produced educational videos of masters teaching their crafts, writing with Joyce Carol Oates, directing with Ron Howard, or even tennis lessons with Serena Williams. Before Masterclass,
2: Aaron co-founded Harkos Labs, which nods to his love of escapism. The company makes novelty energy drinks and snacks with names like Zombie Blood Energy Drink and Zombie Jerky. And back in 2006, he started a robotics
0: company that used augmented reality to cut granite slabs. Despite all of this success though, he's not satisfied. He's now challenging himself to do more to make the world closer to the place he wants it to be.
1: I think a lot of entrepreneurs are probably wired a bit like me, where you get 93% on a test, which is technically an A, and all you can see is What 7% did I get wrong? And I think that is kind of one of the afflictions that can come with it.
0: Now he's on to his next venture. And this time, the problem he's trying to solve in the world is student debt. His new startup is called Outlier.
1: Outlier Outlier.org is the purest form of me seeing something wrong in the world and wanting to fix it. And it's not something that I just see that's wrong in the world. So many people see it. It feels obvious. It feels like one of those things where, why hasn't somebody done this already? You know, every single year, students rack up another $100 billion in student debt. Like, we need to do this now. Like, now,
0: now. But what got him curious about the cost of higher education in the first place was something Aaron read. It was a paper published by the scientist and educator Woody Flowers.
1: And Woody Flowers wrote, and I'm updating the numbers here, there are a million Calculus 1 students at the college level every year, and they spend on average about $2,500 per class. That means Calculus 1, that single class, is a $2.5 billion a year industry. And worse, 40% of those students fail. It means we're wasting a billion dollars as a society on essentially failed teaching. So he said, why not just make the best calculus course ever? If we can reduce the failure rate, we can save tons of money. This sent me down this path, which was like, wait, why is it $2,500 on average for Calculus 1? We know how to teach this.
2: So Outlier is selling Calculus 1 classes for just a few hundred dollars. Aaron's already gotten one university to provide transferable credit, and he hopes this idea can be built on to make other courses more affordable and accessible for students.
0: Our next entrepreneur also centers her work on education. And like Aaron, her own experiences have informed these goals. Angela Lee wants to level the playing field for people who dream of starting their own businesses.
3: You have to try a lot of different things. You have to do a lot of spaghetti throwing to get successful. And that's why diverse teams leads to more success. It's because you just have a different type of opinions, thoughts, processes, ideas at the table. So that's kind of the practical reason why diversity is important. The more um, kind of like heart reason is that talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Angela
2: splits her time between teaching venture capital and leadership at Columbia Business School and heading up an angel investment network called 37 Angels. The organization invests in startups and runs angel investing boot camps.
3: I wanted my peers who were doing angel investing to be people who, you know, looked like me. Uh, I was a relatively young Asian woman doing it at the time and just kept walking into rooms of old white men. Right. So I wanted kind of a, a tribe of people that, that I felt were were peers to me and then when there were women involved at the time it was a little bit more of like a post retirement demographic and i was like no i want to do this when i'm in the prime of my career
2: so after working in business seeing the dot com boom and then bust going to business school she was thinking about how to talk about investing with a more diverse group and have a little fun too
3: 37 Angels started as what I was going to call an investment book club. I was going to get me and nine of my friends, we were going to get together once a month, we were going to drink wine, everyone was going to bring a startup idea, and we were going to kind of teach each other a topic, and we would talk about these startups and we would pick one to invest in.
0: That was the original kernel of the idea. Angela was hooked on researching investments after she took a chance on a friend's film project. She handed over a $5,000 check and lost all her money. But she became fascinated by how business plans and inventions come to life. And she saw the startup world was opaque. And sometimes it felt intentionally so. And so the idea of like demystifying the black
3: box of startup investing, like it didn't exist. I'm a professor. I'm a teacher. um, Was like, I'm going to teach a small group of people that I care about how to do this because I believe the best way to learn is to teach. And that became our investment bootcamp. And so fast forward six years, we've done 30 bootcamps. People from Saudi Arabia and Hong Kong and, you know, all over the world have flown in to take the bootcamp to learn how do you invest in startups. 37 Angels has now made 57 investments.
2: 15 of the companies have raised a Series A, four have raised a Series B, and six have been acquired. They also have a unicorn in their portfolio, the fast casual restaurant chain, Sweetgreen.
0: Through all of this, being an entrepreneur herself, and at this point having evaluated 12,000 startups, she's gained a lot of insight into what it takes to be successful. Angela says at the end of the day, she's backing the founder before anything else. And the first thing she's looking for is empathy. And I mean empathy not
3: in like a you're kind Way, which that's obviously nice as well, but like truly being able to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Because to be a good founder, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer, of the investor, of the acquirer, of uh, the lender, whatever the case may be. You have to navigate that very, very well and very, very thoughtfully and really thread the needle and be able to say, like, what I'm going to tell the chief learning officer who I'm selling to is very different than what I'm going to tell the direct employee who's going to use it is very different than what I'm going to tell my investor. The second thing she wants to see is hustle. There's no doubt that you need to have grit and hustle, but in an organized way. And the third thing is whether a founder is
2: willing to listen to the data. Angela says you can be confident in yourself and your company, but you have to trust what the data is telling you.
3: I think that the great founders these days are ones who are really, really data-backed, and what they're able to do is run quick, fast experiments get some data, and then very quickly respond to that data. It's not that I know exactly what the best user interface is for my app, or I know the best tagline for for my direct email campaign. No. It's that I'm really good at efficiently testing five taglines. It'd be like, that one has the highest lift. That's what we're going to put all our money behind. She says when a founder isn't willing to follow the data, it's a red flag. Because I think what happens is you'll see a founder where they're like, this is the product, this is the product, this is the product. They test on the market, and they're like, huh, no one's buying it. It's because the customer doesn't get it. It's just like not listening to the data, not listening to the market. That's a
0: huge one. The trick is being able to navigate all of this, to take feedback and acknowledge the realities of the market, while being able to imagine that eventually it will all come together.
3: I do think you need some degree of I'm gonna call it faith rather than optimism. Um, to be a founder, right? You you have to believe that you know that check's gonna come in. You have to believe that that customer, one of the 15 customers that you've had a meeting with this week, is is gonna sign a contract. And so I think you you do need a little bit of that as a founder because otherwise you can't kind of get through the tough times. Our final guest knows a thing
2: or two about the tough times and the faith that's required to get a business off the ground.
4: My name is Drew McElroy, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Transfix.
0: If you heard our first episode, you know that Transfix is an online platform that serves as an intermediary between truckers and trucking companies, brokers, and suppliers. The
2: company started in 2013 and is now valued at around $800 million. This year, Drew was named an Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young.
4: I'm biased, of course, but I think entrepreneurs are the most valuable resource in an economy. Right? I mean, to me, entrepreneurs are are the force multipliers. Um, entrepreneurs are the ones who can take and create extraordinary things.
0: Drew knew the business was ripe for disruption because his parents were freight brokers, and he was born with an entrepreneurial instinct. It was first cultivated in an early business partnership with his dad. The commodity baseball cards.
4: I had like a, an actual handwritten, mind you, because it was in the 80s, uh, spreadsheet of all of the cards. And I had like, I had color coding systems about how much price variability we had to negotiate. And my dad was like, the hell is wrong with you? Let's just go sell the cards. I learned very early that people in business have different skills. And you, the idea, the real trick um, is to, is to put everybody in the best seat for them.
2: This is one of the early lessons that set him up for the roller coaster ride of being a founder. When Drew and his partner, Jonathan Salama, started Transfix six years ago, they gave themselves five months to get the company started. As the chief technical officer, it was
0: Jonathan's job to build the platform. Drew was responsible for everything else. So there he was in August of 2013, trying to figure out how to get off the ground.
4: I had to raise friends and family capital, find initial customers, and find initial supply, meaning trucking partners. And so in my sort of euphoria for like, here we go, we're going to do it, I uh, I updated my LinkedIn profile just to say co-founder and CEO of Transfix. Uh, and I had no logo. I had no description. I had no website. Just, just that. And I, I swear to God, within 30 minutes of making that update, my cell phone rings and I look at it, and I don't recognize the number, and, and I answer it, and, and I get greeted with, is this Drew? And, and of course, I said, yes.
0: On the other side of that call was the senior vice president of global logistics for a big retailer.
4: <laughs> he goes, LinkedIn says you're starting a company. What, what's going on? And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so I pitched him right then and there over the phone. And I'll never forget, he was dead silent the whole time. Just, just all I hear on the other end of the phone is breathing. And so as you can imagine, I started pitching faster and faster and faster. And and finally I said to him, please, could you say something? The caller
2: was interested and saw that Drew and Jonathan were onto something with their idea to leverage algorithms in the freight brokerage business. Drew began to wrap up the call, saying, Great, thanks. I'll get back to you soon when I'm back on the East Coast.
4: I'll get my partner and we'll come see you and we'll figure all this out so we can go live in January. And he goes, January? What are you talking about? You got me all excited. We have to start next week.
0: This was almost half a year before they were planning to launch. At the time, Drew was crashing at a friend's place, a doctor who overheard the whole exchange.
4: And he reaches over and he grabs his doctor bag, and, he, and I'm like, all right, man, you know, I'm freaking out, but you don't have to bust my chops. I'm not having a heart attack. And he looks at me and goes, shut up. And he opens the doctor bag, and he pulls out his personal checkbook. And he goes all right, I believe, what's it going to take to get this off the ground? And he wrote me a check on the spot.
0: And that's how Transfix got its first investor and its first customer.
2: All of these stories demonstrate that it takes more than just determination and some funding to start an effective business. It takes knowing your own limits. It takes using your experience to your business's advantage. But there's even more to it this heart-pounding, unknown thing. It's the entrepreneurial spirit. And that spirit means a little something different for each of the people we talk to today.
0: For Aaron Rasmussen, who we talked to earlier, it's the idea that his work is more than just where society's needs meet his skills. I
1: actually wasn't sure how much I'd enjoy uh, making these classes, you know? And it turned out that it was tons of fun. But second to that, I just love learning. And that's sometimes something that surprises you a bit. You know, initially when I looked at this, I said, okay, I I feel like I've got a skill set that will be applicable here and I can make a real social change. But then there's a part of it where it's just like a really fun thing to do and you enjoy it. For
2: Drew, there's the recognition that his family's business was from a sector that was ready to evolve, that there are problems to solve, and that Transfix will be able to solve them.
4: Also, people like us are going to exist one way or the other. And if we don't have this sort of outlet, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we necessarily play nice in larger companies. So you got to put us to work somewhere.
0: For Angela Lee, it's about empowering others and shifting perspectives. The work she and others are doing is making a difference. Global dollars in female-founded companies have steadily increased over the last few years. Besides creating a more equal
2: startup world... Angela is driven by the challenge and the thrill of identifying founders with that special something. You could say her instinct is its own invisible force. And so far, there's no app that can compete with that.
3: So much of it is about gut. And and a lot of very smart people right now are trying to use natural language processing. They're trying to use machine learning. And they're trying to be like, can we figure out a way to have machines figure out what makes a successful founder? And to date... I do not know of a firm who's like, we've figured out that algorithm. And I think that's why it's so fun, right? Because you get to marry heart and mind every single day, and and you get to have a little bit of that, those leaps of faith and that that magic. And it's what makes it such a fun space to be in.
0: Throughout the show, we've explored how technology is changing industries, from mobility and healthcare, to financial services and retail. But figuring out how to start a successful business and come up with the ideas that will build our future, there really is no formula. It still takes a lot of humanity. That's it for this season of Invisible Forces. Thank you so much for listening. This show is produced by Emily Foreman, Jorge Estrada, and Carrie Ann Thomas. Our senior producer is Matt Chilts. Our editor is Renita Jablonski. Music and mixing by Marcus Bagala. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. Additional production help from Soraya Shockley and Derek Clements. Special thanks to Drew McElroy,
2: Angela Lee, Aaron Rasmussen, Usheen Hanrahan, and Nathan Hecht.
5: Jeffries, the full-service global investment banking firm headquartered in the U.S., focused on serving clients for more than 55 years, is a leader in providing insight, expertise, and execution to investors, companies, and governments. The firm provides a full range of investment banking, advisory, sales and trading, research, and wealth management services across all products in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffrey's entity to the audience. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. This is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. It may be based on subjective assessments and assumptions and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. No responsibility is accepted, and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given, in either case, expressly or impliedly, by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based, or the use of any of the same. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, agents, or representatives will be liable for any direct... Indirect or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, taxation, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction, and is not providing any advice as to any such matter. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.